All right, folks, we are live with Christ Over Fear. I'm your host, Chad Jenkins. It is 12 o'clock, actually 12.01. I have to wait one minute while the tornado sirens in Dublin, Ohio go off so that uh, we know it's start time. So, hey, here we are. I'm uh, I'm super excited today. I'm trying to do like a host voice, make it cheesy, like, ladies and gentlemen, welcome. But I, I just, I can't get myself to do it. So bear with me on that front. I'll work on that in the coming weeks ahead. But uh, just as a reminder, we're going to do this every Wednesday from 12 p.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern time and uh, with guests and our first guest leading us off today will be Lou Mitchell. And I'll talk about Lou here in a little bit. But uh, first, I just want to remind all of you what Christ Over Fear is about and really what Christ Over Fear is about is being able to give a platform for leaders who are bold in their faith and who, um, you know, are bold in their story of what Christ has done in their life, give them a platform to share that. Because I think if we can share that with, uh, with others in the community, those who maybe are believers in Christ and those who are on the fence, those who are maybe out there wavering in their faith right now, if we can go ahead and give them an opportunity to hear other story and what Christ has done in their life, I think that oftentimes helps build that bridge and that connection. And it's, it's definitely needed in the, in the, in the male community, if you will, for men out there and and specifically in the, in the veteran community. So that's, that's really the target audience is veterans out there, but then men in general who uh, we we've got to lead in the spiritual dialogue for ourselves, for our families, for our coworkers. It's desperately needed right now. And, uh, and this is the platform to do that. So, Without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and bring in Lou Mitchell. Just real quick on Lou before I bring him into the screen and we start we start our talk. Um, Lou is an Air Force veteran. He was a non-commissioned officer in the Air Force. And then he was an officer, actually an armor officer, I believe. He might have to clarify that for me. But I believe he was an armor officer in the United States Army. Um, but the the length of Lou's career was spent as a, as an FBI special agent, he spent 22 years as an FBI special agent and supervisory special agent. And he was actually my direct supervisor when I first showed up to, to the, uh, FBI Miami office. And, uh, I directly reported to Lou. And as I gave in the description, Lou's a mentor, a leader, uh, a confidant, a friend, but he's just an all around, unbelievably humble individual. And uh, I can't wait to have him on because he means the world to me. Um, I don't, and maybe it's a bad quality of me. A a bad quality of me might be that I don't um, have enough individuals that I look up to in my life. I look up to Jesus, obviously. Jesus is my number one. But as far as men, Um, And I don't know if that stems from my military experience and always trying to find a a little bit of a a negative in people, which is not a good quality. It's one that I need to work on. It's one we'll probably explore quite a bit. But Lou is not that. Lou is one that from the day I met him until this very moment, I just have the utmost admiration and um, and just, you know, just... uh, He's inspiring to me on the way he lives his life, on the way he's led his life, and on the way he treats people. That's the biggest difference maker of Lou Mitchell is how he treats individuals, how he treats people. And so uh, with that, I am going to go ahead and bring him live on the show. And hey, Lou, 
There you are. How you doing, buddy? Good, Chad. How are you? You're way too kind, buddy. You're way too kind. Yeah, I you know, I knew you would say that say that, but that's that's actually, I mean, that's not that's not any figment of the imagination. That's how much I think of you, Lou. And um, and it is. It, it, it's from the first time in 2009, stepping into the, uh, you know, the West Palm RA, and just having you at the desk on, on that squad, and just another quality of yours, which I, I, I'll lead off with, is um, you've always presented yourself, or, or most often, you present yourself with this calming you know, calming demeanor. And I just, I'm curious, is that something you've always had? Is that something you've had to work on? Or are you even, you know, cognizant of that's the way you come across? I'm just curious on that. Chad, if I had to give you an honest answer, I would say it was probably something I had to work on. Um, you know, in, in the Bureau, as in, as in the military too, you meet all kinds of people. And uh, everybody has the same mission, but their personalities and, um, the way they act, um, how they do their work is all different. So I, I just found it best just to remain calm. And, and you know as well as I do, the more you experience, the more calm you get for the next experience. And um, the one thing I tried to do, um, I didn't become a supervisor until I had 12 years as a street agent. Um, I kind of did it uh, towards the end of my career. Um, I had some good supervisors. I had some that were not. I thought I could do it better. And I went in with the attitude. It was kind of natural uh, to have this kind of servant leadership um, ability. You know, I wasn't coming in telling people, you're going to do this, you're going to do that. Although there were times that, you know, as you know, you had you have to do that. But I saw it as my goal to build up the people uh, that were working for me you know, set them up for success. That was my whole goal. I had no intention of moving beyond a field supervisor. And once my time up was there, I stepped back down and became a street agent again, because that's where my passion was. But it's all about building people up, setting them up for success. Um, you know, people come to the office with, with issues and problems um, that aren't job related, you know, personal issues. And you're, you're that guy, uh, as you were in the army, you're that guy sitting there. And you have to deal with that now, too, on top of the mission. So I always took a lot of pride in that. And I hope that there are people out there uh, that worked under me who will look at me or think of me and say, hey, that that guy set me up for success, you know. So but, yeah, the, the calmness thing uh, just happened over time, I would I would have to say. <laughs> well, and maybe I came in a little bit later in your career. So you'd already gotten the the. Uh the 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 fire in your belly out of the way but i just know you always came with such a, a, a calming demeanor and it's one that you know i had plenty of leaders in the military in the army um that you know and i know in the intro uh, there were good officers and 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 good non-commissioned officers great non-commissioned officers that um i i uh, aspired to be like and aspired to emulate but you're one of the few you really are one of the few in the FBI. And I, I think, you know, the military works on developing leadership and, and it's a, it's a leadership pipeline. As soon as you show up to basic training or Absolutely. officer infantry training, I mean, that, that's a leadership development um, profession where I don't know that the FBI was as much. So it was just a breath of fresh air to have you be 
and, and maybe it's some of your military background helped you in that dynamic as well. It, it probably did. Uh, as you stated earlier, um, I spent four years active duty in the Air Force, um, was an NCO and worked in the cruise missile field in Sicily, uh, ground launch cruise missiles. Um, and you had mentioned armor, armor, me being an armor officer. Um, I was in active duty. Uh, once I got out of the Air Force, I joined the Army National Guard and my background was MP. Um, I ended up with the 223rd Military Police Company out of Louisville and uh, was actually trying to get back into the Air Guard because that's what I knew. I didn't really know anything about the Army, but I had to go where the opening was. So lo and behold, I get my orders back to the Air National Guard and um, I get a call the next day from my commander, the Army Guard, says you got to be at the Armory tomorrow. I'm like, well, what's up? Well, we were getting deployed to Desert Storm. And uh, so I get there and I said, well, my orders came, right? He goes, yeah, but don't worry about that. I took care of that for you. You're going with us. So anyway, <laughs> so we go, go over for six or seven months. Uh, we were at a EPW camp babysitting Iraqi prisoners most of the time. But I fell in love with that culture and uh, came back, uh, got into OCS and branched armor, went to armor officer basic course at Fort Knox. And luckily that's where our tanks were stationed. So we got to use all their training facilities and all that. But um, I just remember I was in that class, armor officer base course. There were a lot of West Point guys there. It was uh -huh. a mix of active duty, reserve guard, that kind of thing. But uh, and I, I became friends with a lot of these guys. And, you know, they just had that special thing. You know, they just had that special thing. They were leaders you know, like yourself. And I saw that in you um, the, the moment I met you. And I, I remember the story about you. I did not know that you had played football at Army. You know, I had just gotten there on that squad. You were already there. And I hadn't had time to like, you know, meet everybody and get to know them the way you do. And I remember somebody telling me this story about you. And I called you on the phone and I said, Chad, did you play college football? And you're going, well, I threw the ball around a little bit. And that was the end of it. That's what you said. That was the end of it. You never, you never bragged on yourself. Um, you know, I know you did outstanding things in the military and you had a tough job um, doing what you did. And, you know, you never talked about any of that. You, you know, to me, you're the most humble person I've ever met. Mm. And I'm just glad to see you on this path right now. And, um impacting people's lives and affecting change so you know i just wanted to get that out of the way right now well i appreciate that lou um i really do and and you know i've i've kind of there's that double-edged sword right i mean the double-edged sword is the persona on the outside the persona that we we give to others and then there's you know internally what's going on and yeah. for a long time i fought internally like thinking that you know, I was a spotlight ranger, if you will, or, you know, I, I can be humble on the outside, but in the inside, if they only knew. And I think that's, you know, I can talk on that with, with regards to mental health and, and my journey on that, but more importantly, really on my journey with the Lord and on my journey with Christ. And, and that's what I want to get to now, because, mm -hmm. um, 
you know, that's what this whole platform is for is because I, and I said it in my first episode, I said, Hey, you know, if I get an interview or a podcast or whatever it is, and I always find that one liner where I can throw something in like, I love Jesus or whatever it is. (laughs) I, I wanted to create an area where, where individuals can share, you know, the ultimate Mm -hmm. story, which I think the ultimate story is what Christ has done in our lives. I think that story is it supersedes what we've done professionally. It, 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 it encompasses what we've done professionally, but it also encompasses what we've done personally, what we do daily, what we do in our walk. And I think it also invigorates others. It, it, it can have the potential to set a spark of fire in another who might be experiencing something that we've had experienced down the road that, that Jesus has brought us through. So I guess the the meat and potatoes of this and really where I, I want to lead you in this question is, you know, do you mind? What is your story with the Lord? What's your Because I've never asked you. I've never, I, I don't know, you know, your complete story with Christ, how that unfolded, how it's grown. And I know it's an open-ended question, but that's kind of the the premise of this, if you will. Gosh, I mean, I'm from Kentucky. Um, you know, it's the Bible Belt or part of it. And well, I started going to church with my grandfather at Thornhill Baptist Church. And I'll never forget it. I was probably five years old, um, mm-hmm. probably before then. But I can remember back at least as far sitting in church with him and the fire and brimstone preacher, um, Pastor Lyons. I'll never forget it. But he, that had an impact on me. Um, I, I went to church my whole life, um, you know, partly because it's just what everybody did, you know, uh, back then everybody took their kids to Sunday school and I'd go to church camp and all that kind of thing. Um, as I grew and got older, um, probably in my teen years, uh, there were some tenuous, uh, things going on in my life. And I can remember being at the point at 12 years old, just grabbing my grandmother's Bible and starting from Genesis. You know, Mm -hmm. I didn't know, you know, the Sunday school stories. Yes. But I just wanted to start reading and I started from page one. Wow. (laughs) And uh, anyway, I I grew to um, love reading the Bible and skipping around. And it would always seem like I would find the perfect verse that would I needed, I should say. Um, so yeah, um, I've always gone to church and I've always read the Bible. I've prayed. Uh, I don't do all those things as much as I probably should. Although I will say you'll be proud of me. I'm at day 1,442 on the Bible app straight. So you crushed that you verse app. I, I see. I don't, I'm still like old school. I need it. Like I need the, I need my Bible. And I, I, I did you verse a while ago, but it just, but man, every time somehow we're like clicked on there, I'm like, golly, he's knocking out one, uh, one Bible uh, study after another. What's it? What is it? 1000, what? 1,142 straight days. Look at you, man. Oh, yeah, I know. I got it, man. Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but, but I, we need that, right? I mean, what what is the purpose of that, right? What, why do you go right. there daily? Right. I, you know, I go there for myself. You can pick plans, but I open up I open up the book too. You know, I've yeah. got my Bible all marked up, but if I'm at work or something, the Bible app is is perfect. Um, you know, if there's something that's bothering me or somebody needs help in another regard, you can go to those plans and type in a word and all of a sudden you have all these plans, you know? So 
if uh, I mean, it's a, it's a it's another tool, you know, for a Christian. And I would encourage anybody to use it. But um, yeah. Um, but what about going to what about going to the Bible like daily? I mean, um, do you mind sharing on? you know, on that kind of, I guess, habit, if you will. And I mean, like for me, I, I wish I could say it's seven days a week. I have to be honest. I'm going to be honest on here. Re raw, authentic, real. That's kind of, you know, raw, raw I, transparent, real. I'm yeah. probably a five days a week guy, to be honest. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, Chad, um, it, it's the first thing I do every morning. I didn't always do that. I do now. Mm -hmm. uh, we've got to be fed. You know, uh, I try to make the last thing I do at night as well. And, uh, you know, we just have to immerse ourselves in the word and, uh, you know, we may read something that has no impact on us at that moment, but it might the next day. Yeah. Or you might be able to impact somebody else, you know, that recall, you know, but, um, I, you know, when you asked me to do this, um, you know, I, I understand who your target audience is, veterans, uh, combat veterans, um, and, uh, you know, I just hope that my story can relate to them, maybe what they're going through. So bear with me. Lou, hey, man, it's me and you. And um, you take it how you want to take it, man. Well, you talk about trauma, you know, um, we all go through it in life, right? Mm-hmm. You know, situations that uh, come out of nowhere, those curveballs. Um, we worry about stuff. Uh, you know, we have heartache and, uh, you know, sometimes just despair. So, uh, um, I lost my son in 2013 to addiction. <clears throat> so that's, that was probably the, that was the worst thing that could ever happen to somebody in my mind. Grief is grief. Mm -hmm. you know, everybody's grief is their own and it's just as uh, painful as anybody else's. But he had been in a car wreck two years prior, leaving our house, going back to school at the University of North Florida. And uh, I remember hugging him goodbye. He got in the car, drove out the neighborhood and uh, walked around the back of my house. We were on a lake and I could see him leaving the neighborhood. And probably 15 seconds later, I hear this horrendous crash and uh, a horn stuck just blowing. I knew it was his Civic. So I have to run around the lake and go over a berm. I just remember my legs feeling like jello, like I was just going to fall. And I've uh, been through some pretty serious stuff in my life and it never impacted me like that, you know? Mm -hmm. So I get there, I see uh, his car and the horn going, smoke everywhere. His car was crushed and he had been hit by a driver in a Humvee, one of the original model type Humvees with the big metal. Yeah. <clears throat> so she blew through the intersection, you know, I'm thinking he's gone and I'm, trying to get there and all of a sudden the door opens up and he staggers out and uh, uh, had some damage from the airbag, um, hurt his wrist and his face and everything, but he seemed to be okay. And I set him down and, you know, ambulance came and everything, but he spent that afternoon and that 
evening in the hospital and um, x-rays, all that. He was fine, but his back um, was very sore. Um, long story short, he gets back to University of North Florida and has a follow-up appointment with a doctor in Jacksonville. And unbeknownst to me, um, that doctor had put him on oxy. So that was the beginning of the end, uh, pretty much. Uh, two years of rehab, in and out, uh, getting clean. So it's two years later, 2013. He's at my parents' house. Uh, he liked to fly up to Kentucky and visit them. And uh, we're having a family reunion on the Mitchell side. And I fly up, and Christian's doing very well um, at this moment. And I, had, I spent three great days with him. I flew back home. Um, two days later, I got that phone call. You know, the phone call you don't want to get. And uh, yeah, it was tough. Um, the funeral and his burial were here in Frankfurt. Um, and it was astounding um, at the um, visitation. There must have been 300, 400 people show up who didn't even know him. Mm. You know, cause he grew up in South Florida, yeah. but, but these people knew my family and it was just this outpouring, um, people at work didn't even know, um, you know, I got that phone call about five o'clock and we were on a, an airplane at 6 AM the next morning, flying back to Kentucky. So the neighbors didn't know, um, you know, I guess an office email went out, um, back in Miami bureau, um, yeah, it was quite an outpouring, but uh, I, you know, I just wasn't the same after that. You know, I, I felt I just wasn't the same. It's like, you know, anyway, so we buried Christian and everything. Um, I think we were in Kentucky for about two weeks, and I just knew that I needed to get back to work um, to try to shake this grief. And mm -hmm. I came back after two weeks and that was not the right thing to do. Um, there was a supervisor conference the day I got back in Miami. So all the supervisors were there from, you know, support agent, probably 30, 40 people in there. And I walked in and saw so many people trying to avoid eye contact. And then the ones that tried to say something couldn't. Yeah. And I found myself comforting these people. Mm. You know, they were doing their best. You don't know what to say. I understand. But, and that just made it worse for me. Um, but I was able to do it, you know, because I, yeah. I felt their pain, mm -hmm. you know, because I was going through so much. I can recognize it now. Um, um, anyway, it was, it's, it was tough, you know, and it still is. And I can tell you that the grief doesn't go away. And, you know, if I could compare the, this to, you know, somebody who has suffered emotional or emotional scars in combat, um, you know, it, it doesn't go away. But I will tell you this, you know, and I want to read a verse to you. Yeah. It's, it's uh, Psalms 34, 18. And it says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. Mm -hmm. 
and just saves the crushed spirit that came to me at that time. I don't, I don't even remember reading it, but it was in my mind. It's like what I said earlier. Mm-hmm. And there it was. So, you know, I knew the only way I was going to get through that was with God. Because mm-hmm. I didn't want to be here. I wasn't going to hurt myself. But I didn't yeah. want to be here. And I've got two daughters. And, you know, I wanted to be with my son. And I'm thinking, how? That's just wrong to think that. I have a job. You know, I've got family here. But that's how bad it hurts. You know? And, uh, but it, it it's tough. Um so people were giving me books on grief and, you know, out of the goodness of their hearts. And I would try to read those and I just, I couldn't, you know, I just couldn't get through that. But, you know, the word, God's word, that got me through it, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it'll be 10 years almost, but it feels like yesterday. So, um, you know, the grief doesn't go away, but it's. I could, could compare it to this loud drum beat, you know, when that grief first sets in, it's, it's all you hear is this loud drum beat in your head. And I literally felt like I had a weight on my back and I'm pretty sure that I walked slumped over and, uh, it took me about two years to get over that, but, you know, praying and talking to God and being honest with him, um, you know, that drum beat wasn't as loud anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, I still, still hear it in the background from time to time, but you know, God and his word, um, that, that is the only way, you know, to get through emotional scars, um, grief, pain, heartache, um, you know, and it's hard for me to tell this story, you know, but I wanted to do this and just hope that you know, maybe it will help somebody else. And, um, you know, the, the leadership aspect of it, um, you know, eight months later, um, after this, I mean, I'm still feeling the grief. Um, I would cry every day on the way to work and on the way home, I had to get Mm -hmm. it out. And, um, but there I was, uh, supervising that, squad international terrorism we were busy you know we were handling domestic terrorism and everything else we had to do in west palm beach Uh, i'm sitting at the computer and one of the squad mates who you know walked in um, and he says hey lou and i just remember turning around and staring at him and i don't know what he saw my face but he just said Hey, I'm, I'm so sorry. I'll, I'll come back later. And, uh, I knew that I needed to do something drastic at that point to get myself together because it wasn't fair to the squad, the FBI or the country, you know, that I'd be carrying this grief and now it's impacting the mission. And, uh, I got up, went out and apologized to him and told him how sorry I was. And, uh, but I had to do something. So that's when I decided to take that 18 month TDY to uh, headquarters in DC because I, I needed to change something and, and step away. And, um, a very good friend of mine, 
somebody who I dearly love told me the story about her grandmother who said, whenever you feel stuck, move, do something. It doesn't matter, you know, move backwards, move to your right. And, and you know, what she's talking about is mentally do something, mm -hmm. do something to make a change start to happen, make something happen. You're, at least you're not stuck anymore. And, um, that's what I did in that case. You know, I wasn't a big fan of going to DC to headquarters, but it was the best thing I had to do. I had to step back. Mm -hmm. How could I continue leading in that condition I was in, you know? And my point is you gotta, you gotta face up to it. And when your grief and your heartache, um, starts impacting those who are count on you, um, the best thing you can do for them is to, Take a step back, you know, um, heal, give your time, yourself time to heal. And, and that's what I did, you know? Um, and I know there were a lot of people saying he's never coming back. You know, he's, he's going to stay up there or whatever. Well, no, I, I did come back mm -hmm. and, um, I hope I was able to show people maybe what resiliency is mm -hmm. more so what faith is um probably the worst thing i did during that time after christian passed away or the two years prior when he was fighting this addiction i never spoke to anybody about it i didn't not a single person at the fbi knew i was going through that and it was hard trying to balance that with the profession you know and uh that that's one of the biggest regrets i have you know i just because we all want to keep it in right we don't want people to know our problems um or what we're going through because of maybe what they'll think or um what they might say and uh but that that was my biggest regret and i would encourage anybody out there who's feeling any type of pain uh emotionally or you know, physically, whatever it is, I don't care what profession you're in, you know, you got to talk to somebody, you got to get it out because, uh, it's going to come out one way or the other. And you want to be able to control that. And, you know, I would just say that, uh, if you believe in God, you need to reach out to him. And if you don't believe in God, then you need to get in the word because he is real. He is powerful and, um, you know, he's not going to take the pain completely away. You know, even Paul had a thorn in his side, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and, um, but he'll get you through it mm. and he will, he will give you life abundantly full of joy. And I have that, but you know, I did lose my son and that's, that's not going to leave me. But I, God has shown me a way through, you know, and, um, you know, Chad, you know, my favorite verse, my mantra, Isaiah 40, 31. Yeah. And I have this bracelet. I don't know if you can see it. Oh, I remember. I remember the bracelet. Well, I've been through like 10 of them now because <laughs> they keep breaking. But that's got my, um, uh, son's name on it and the mm -hmm. bible verse isaiah 40 31 
But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Um, I live my life by that. You know, um, there are going to be times when we fall and stumble and for whatever reason. But, uh, you know, God's mercy and his grace, you know, um, will never leave us. Will never leave us. So, well. Lou. Um, your courage, your courageousness to share that, um, is unbelievably powerful. And I think, uh, as you said, um, there, there is, there is no other, uh, there is no other thing that could be more, more unfathomable than, than what you experience losing Christian losing a child. And, uh, I know there are many out there who are not as far along in the path, but have experienced that same thing, but are, but it's, it's, it's closer in length, you know, it's, it's not as far, um, removed yet. Not that, as you said, even, even with time, the the grief doesn't go away, but I I know in my heart that it's going to help those who, who need to hear this Lou. So, I thank you for that. I thank you for having the courage to share that and, and be on here and be authentic on, on that. And then, um, it, it was random. It was, it was very random, but about two weeks ago, um, I was, I was on YouTube, probably on the channel or whatever. And a Toby Mac interview popped up and I don't know, are you familiar with Toby Mac? He's like the a Christian rapper. Gospel singer, yeah. Yeah. Now, no, he um, he lost his son, twenty-year-old son, um, I believe, in two thousand nineteen, um, and he was twenty years old, and and he spoke on that, and um, it was like a six-minute interview, but he said something very powerful in that, and I think I'd love to to get your thoughts on this as well because he said almost very similar that you know, the grief that he feels and the joy that he had before he has not been able to get to that joy yet, at least where he's at now. But he said, um, he actually met a a gentleman before his son passed. It was like a a couple, I don't know how far, but it was, it was before he lost his son. Another gentleman that he was playing golf with in Texas had lost his son. And he told him, you know, when I, when I lost my child, I had to cling on to God's promises. And he's like, I had to cling on to the promise. I will never forsake you. I will never leave you. And that was the problem. He's like, and when you go and you cling on to a promise, make sure it's from the word of God. Because so often people want to cling to promises of, you know, this is supposed to be a spectacular life and we're supposed to have joy and we're supposed to chase happy, happiness and all that. But he doesn't promise that. Jesus does not promise that, but what he does promise is I will never leave you nor forsake you. And I think that's similar to, to what you have shared. And I, you know, were, were, was that something you had to go to during, and even today, is that something you have to go to are, are actually in fact his promises? Well, as luck would have it, (laughs) the next verse I was going to tell you was Deuteronomy 31, eight. Yeah. 
You know, it is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Yeah, I, I do um, continuously um, pray on that verse. I do. But, you know, something something funny. Um, when the initial grief passed, which took, Chad, it took, it took me years. I mean, I was move, I was making progress, but, um, you know, God, um, at least for me, you know, he lets me know my son's okay. And I've had, uh, numerous great dreams and, uh, I've annotated them all in my journal because I don't mm -hmm. want to forget them. And Christian's always happy. Mm -hmm. And most of them, he's, he's little at the time, but he's mm -hmm. just happy. And, uh, and even the ones when he's older, he's happy. And that's just, you know, God's giving me those pennies from heaven. Yeah. So, yeah. But aside from telling this story, um, you know, I'm lucky. I've got a, a lot of friends. Um, you know, we have a good time. Um, I'm, I'm trying to live my life to the fullest. Um, even with snowmobiling in Wisconsin last week. Man, yeah, I saw cold. that. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I'm hoping that Christian can see through my eyes. Uh huh. So, and I have the joy of knowing that I'll see him again. You know, when my work is done here, I'll see him again. Mm -hmm. And I hang on to that. So. Yeah. Well, and I think that's the, the case here, Lou, is, you know, his work is not done yet for you here, right? And I think, um, you know, so often we could get tied up in that, but our work is not done. And when it's done, he will call us home and he, he will call us home on, on, on that time frame. And I know, you know, in the veteran community, there, there's a lot who are taking it upon themselves on when they're calling it uh, their end. And, um, and, you know, I, I think that we can talk about the, the physiological and the psychological and the emotional and the physical, but I also think that's a big spiritual um, battle that we and that helps us here that helps us talk about that in the spiritual realm i mean if you really stop and think about it um then my belief is the spiritual realm is more real than the physical realm because the spiritual realm is forever it's for eternity the physical realm is only until we run our race here on earth absolutely and, and i wonder like have you clung to that as well knowing that like spiritually you will you'll be one you'll be united with christ and two you'll be reunited with christian for eternity yeah. and that's got to give hope in the midst of the pain and the agony and the heartache it does it does chad i i, I think along those lines every day mm -hmm. every day you know um that's what keeps me going you know but having said that, I just, you know, I see the blessings around me, you know, um, God puts good people into my life. Um, you know, I, I'm working again. Um, I've got a great job where I'm able to help people. Um, you know, it, there, there is this, how can I say this? It makes sense. I have this fullness, you know, I have this fullness, but 
there's just that small little part, you know, right. You know, about my son, but that, that hole is surrounded by love and joy, you know? So, and, and that's, we have to make it through, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like you said, God's not going to take everything away. And, um, all the pain, I mean, or, or whatever grief somebody's handling, but he's going to show you how to get through it. And he's going to bring you joy and happiness and an understanding and, and a hope, mm-hmm. you know, that hope will never fade. And, um, so, um, I'm, I'm, can I ask you one other question, Lou? Absolutely. Well, I know, I know, um, a traumatic event that that took place where um, we were in a, a firefight and uh, a little girl, an unintentionally little girl, got killed in that firefight, and that's what really struck me to the core. And it just it it, it wiped me out completely. And uh, when I finally revisited that in in cognitive processing therapy um, for you know at the PTSD clinic in West Palm Beach, the VA there, um, there was a point in time where, you know, and, and it was actually, it was actually the, the healing combat trauma group. It was like a Christian based group. And we had to ask ourselves why, you know, why it was part of the healing process. Why, why did God allow for this to take place? And we had to write out, you know, the why and what my, what I got to was I'll never get the why on this side of heaven. I'll never get the why. But what we can get to is the how can it be turned to good? That's what we get to actively participate if we're willing to turn everything to him and give everything to him and allow for him to use it for the purpose of whatever we might not be able to see at this time or even as we continue our race here on earth. And I'm just curious, did you ever have any moments of, of asking why? Of I, because I think there's a lot of guys who are on the fence of of turning to Christ, but they also, because of human nature and because of the way that Christianity is being presented to them, they don't think they can have those real questions and those. You know, I almost look at it as a form of worship. Like a form of worship is going to Christ in pain and agony and resentment and questioning. Because he much rather would have us take it to him than take it to somebody else or project it onto another. And Absolutely. I'm just curious: Did you ever have that? Have you ever experienced that, or or did that transpire at all? Well, the the other amazing thing when this when this happened, uh, just the shock and the agony and the grief, uh, I, I got to tell you, Chad, I, I, I didn't ask why. Mm-hmm. I didn't. Uh, I, I think I was far, far enough along in my faith as a Christian mm-hmm. to not blame God or try to get him to explain to me why I lost my son to addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will say, and I should have mentioned this earlier, um, flying home, that that morning back from West Palm to Kentucky to um, face everything we had to face, family and funeral preparations and all this stuff. Uh, I, there was this sense of mission God laid on my heart to get these things done. And um, a, 
it, a sense of peace would, I guess, you know, it was, there was through all that, there was a sense of peace, you know, there was a sense of peace about what I had to do and, and my son being gone right in the midst of all this grief, there was, there was something just moving me forward to take care of business, you know, and, and maybe that was, you know, God gave me this defense mechanism to make it through those first three or four days, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty tough having to plan all that stuff when you lose somebody, you know, especially a child and, Mm -hmm. um, picking out caskets and all this kind of thing. Um, anyway, um, I don't want to go off the rails, but well, you're not sense of peace. And I never did ask why I never did. And, um, Lou, I, I want, I want you to know, um, you know, in, in pretty close to the, you know, probably the 2013 timeframe when you and I got together and you shared that back then you shared that, um, that there was this indescribable peace that he gave you yeah. during that time frame. And then I also remember you sharing that um, Catherine had shared, she's like, well, you're being a rock. And, and I don't know if you remember that. And you're like, well, what's a rock do? A rock just sits there. I don't, do you remember that at all? Like, she, like, and, but she's like, you're being our rock. Like you're being our steadfast rock during this. And once again, I think I, I share that because it ties back to, um, you know, the gifts that the Lord has given you that during that time frame you call them defense mechanism. I would say as a gift that you were able to hold it together for your family during the hardest of circumstances, the hardest of times. Um, but I just, I remember you describing that peace and I get it. It's not perfect peace, right? There is no perfect, yeah. there's no perfect bill here, here, there, there won't be. Um, right. And I think, you know, we're, we're selling others short if we're trying to sell them on, you know, this peace and joy and this happiness. And I know I've said that already this, this period of time, but there is an indescribable peace that only he can provide. Absolutely. And I mean, it's indescribable, you know, I mean, it's in, I say it often, I say it's indescribable, but it's undeniable. Yeah. And it's typically, typically, it's in the hardest of times. It's in the lowest of lows. At least my experience has been, it's been at the lowest of my lows where I feel the most closeness to him and the most peace with him. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we can, we can talk about faith all day, but you know, there comes a time where, you know, you're going to have to go (laughs) show it in action. Yeah. You know, so you're right. But, and Chad, I remember you telling me that story um, that you just brought up. Um, we were sitting in a coffee shop mm-hmm. in West Palm Beach. And, and I think that's when our relationship became even stronger than what it, what it was before. Mm-hmm. You know, and I respected you so much for being vulnerable, which I have never been. Uh, until recently, thanks to a um, very good friend um, who has encouraged me and given me the strength to sit here today to your audience and tell my story. And, you know, I, I hope that God can use it to help somebody, you know, 
somehow. Um, but yeah, thanks. Thanks for letting me be vulnerable. Well, I mean that. Lou, I just, um, I think that, uh, I know, I, I, I don't even think, I know, I know there are those out there who this will help. So the courage, like I said, the courage to do it and the vulnerability, but on top of that, Lou, um, and, and it's in the midst of, um, the most difficult story of your life that you share it, but the but is, but men especially need that and they need to hear that. Maybe it's not their story. Maybe because your, your, your story is unique to you. My story is unique to me, but right. the similarities and the connections and, and to your point, the vulnerable, the true authentic vulnerability. And, and I like to call it the, you know, transparency. That's what men are needing right now. And, and uh, I, I will say, I don't know how much we're getting of it. We can hide behind all these other things in society, but when we're willing to let our guards down to one another and, and trusting relationships and go there, the power in that, that, that supersedes any material thing there ever is that connection. That's why he, that's how he created us, right? He created yeah. us for those moments and they might not be pleasant moments. They might be uncomfortable moments, but those are the moments of where you see um, how he's created us as social beings to be connected to one another. And men, especially in today's society, we need to go there. We, we need to yeah. have those those connections and, and that tribe might not be huge, but by God, literally by God, we need to find those two to three to six folks in that tribe to be able to do that with, because I, I, um, I appreciate, I appreciate you sharing about the 2011 to 2013 um, standpoint, because I think something very powerful um, that you shared is that during that time, you you didn't you didn't seek out that maybe you know with whoops with work colleagues or with individuals and i think there's a lot of individuals i know there's a lot of individuals who aren't going and seeking that out and i mean and not only that like okay i, I may have done it in the past i may have done it when i had no other option and then i finally was vulnerable but like our brain can quickly stop doing that as well. So Chad Jenkins in the 2022, am I willing to continue to grow in my faith, continue to grow in him and continue to be authentic to those who I can trust? Because if I don't, then I'm just going to repeat the same behavior that, that got me in the predicament what I was in, um, you know, years ago. Absolutely. Yeah, you're right. You're right. So, well, Lou, um, I, we're coming up on, on, on the hour. We're coming up uh, 10 minutes out. Um, I mean, I, I Lou, I couldn't have, and I didn't know how this was going to go. I, I, I didn't want to go down. Uh, I, I thought you would bring up this, th this story, God's story in your life and how it has played out for you and Christian and your family. Um, but you know, the, the work that he has um, allowed for you to come on or, or the, the story that he's allowed for you to come on and share. Um, I have no doubt that it's going to, it's going to, it's going to speak to those who need to hear that and, and, and that they need to um, be able to grab onto that hope and that promise that's from the Lord. And I don't think, 
you know, I, there's a lot of other promises out there, worldly promises that that people try to grab onto in the midst of this. But as you have shared, there's only one that can truly come in and, and do the do the ultimate um, peace in the midst of the biggest heartache, and that's Him. And so I thank you for coming on and sharing that and being vulnerable with with me and with everybody else who's going to be able to see this and, and uh, experience this. Well, I, I appreciate it, Chad. And you know, I guess this is a story I've, I've wanted to get out there for for years. And uh, you know, God used you and um, to reach out to me. And I, I'm thankful that it was a friend of mine that gave me the opportunity to, you know, to tell this story. And I, I do hope it helps, uh, helps someone, you know? So I, I appreciate the opportunity, Chad. And I was a little nervous as I probably let you know when we first spoke. <laughs> and you I know, was I was nervous too. I, I like in the last two tonight's, I haven't slept barely at all um, <laughs> on this. Well, and you know, I, I think that's good though. I think people need to hear that too. You were nervous because it's, you know, it's a very, I mean, it's as, as raw of a story and as painful of the story as it gets. And I was, I, I guess to describe it and, and to be real with grief. And when we go and um, we share, we're, we're given the ability to share in another's story. So I was given the ability to share in your story and, and be a part of that. Uh, you know, I didn't, because as you said, like people looked at you in that first meeting, that supervisor meeting, and they don't even know what to say. Right. But I think it's healthy for us um, to recognize that, man, if we just one, shut up and listen, but two, just, just be there and just, um, just listen and, and just be still. And, Sometimes when we're audibly able to put our thoughts and audibly speak them, the power of, you know, those words, I mean, it, it truly is therapeutic. It's therapeutic it to be able to get that out. And then on the other end, if you can be that for somebody or share in that, then that's an un unbelievable, you know, present experience that we both get to carry for the rest of our lives. Absolutely, Chad. Absolutely. Well, again, I, I just appreciate the opportunity and I'm, I'm glad that uh, God chose you to let me get that out. So, Absolutely. Right. Well, Lou, I love you, man. I love, love you, you too, and uh, you mean the world to me. And thanks for coming on. Um, I greatly appreciate it. So right, I will Chad. I will catch up with you here a little bit later. All right. All right, man. Love you, brother. We'll see love you. you too. Thanks. All right, ladies, gentlemen. Hey, that um, that concludes our first live uh, live interview on Christ over fear. I, I couldn't think of a better individual to have on, and that's why I was excited to have Lou on because he uh, he doesn't tell us how to be authentic. He doesn't tell us how to walk it. He just showed us um, exactly what it means to be raw, transparent, and real for Christ. So I hope you all. Um, are able to to take to take the story that he was willing to share with us and apply that, or, or I, I can't stand the word apply, and live it, live it out. Let's live it out, especially us men. Us men, we need one another. We need one another now more than ever. And so uh, let's be there for one another 
and let's not let's not delay it and let's not put it off by some other projection or in and taking in other things that don't really matter in the grand scheme the things that matter are the stories that God's doing in our life whether that's good or bad or ugly wherever he is when we're willing to get into our tribe and share that with one another that's where the lord does his work so hey please tune in every wednesday 12 p.m to 1 p.m uh eastern time and we'll be back next week here on christ over fear all right you all continue to fight the good fight and uh, we'll see you next week